Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Last week we took a look at this theme, pleasing God with faith. It comes from Hebrews 11. We read the verse just a second ago, but without faith it is impossible to please Him. We saw how important it was to please the Lord. We see how important it is to have that as our focus because that's what we were created for. We were created to bring pleasure to the Lord. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. So these two are connected. To please the Lord, you must have faith. Having faith pleases the Lord. And faith is simply trusting God will do what He says He will do. That's simply faith. Faith is, God, you said it, and I trust that you're going to do it, so I will live in a way that matches what you said. You said that this would happen, so I'm going to live in that way, that we will trust his character, that he will follow through no matter how long it takes. Whether God follows through on his promises in 50 minutes, or whether it takes 50 years Faith says, you know what, God said it, maybe it won't happen today, maybe it won't happen this year, maybe it won't happen next year, maybe it won't happen 10 years from now, but God said it, and I believe that it will happen, and so I will live according to those words. We saw how blessed those that put their faith in God were. Hebrews chapter 11 is all about these that put their faith in God and were blessed because of it. Noah was blessed by the Lord because he trusted God. He said, a flood is coming, and so I'm going to live according to that fact, which is God told me to build a boat. So I'm going to build a boat, and I won't stop until it's finished. We saw Abraham, we saw Moses, we saw others. And today I want to see how pleasing God with faith will change you. We're here in the second week of the year, and uh, there are many that have New Year's resolutions. They decide, you know what, I want to make a change in my life. I want to make a change in my diet. I want to make a change in my health and exercise. I want to make a change in, you know, I want to read a little bit more. Maybe I want to get off of social media a little bit, get away from, you know, the screens and the TV shows and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. You know, a lot of people make some changes, make some resolutions. Some people make spiritual resolutions. You know, I want to read my Bible every single day, whether it's just a verse or a chapter or more than that. Uh, I want to read my Bible every year or every day this year. I want to get involved in a ministry. And a lot of people want to have change. A lot of people want to make changes. They know that there's some growth that needs to happen in their lives. And so the question I want to ask you today is, do you want to be changed today? Do you want to be changed this year? Do you want to be more like the Lord? And we're going to take a look at some verses this morning, how, see, how we'll see that pleasing God with faith will change us. I want to see a few ways in which that is true. The first of which is pleasing God with faith changes our perspective. If you live your life with the goal of pleasing God with faith, it's going to change your perspective. You're there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Go back to verse number 1. Verse number one says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle, tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. What Paul is saying here is, when, I, when he dies, Paul is saying, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven and receive a new glorified body 
and live in heaven with that body forever. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you're going to be in heaven forever. Amen? Amen? Now, that's what the Bible says, right? None of us have been to heaven. None of us have seen heaven. None of us have been to eternity. None of us know what that glorified body will be like exactly. We're just taking God at his word. God said, if you trust in me for your salvation, I will save you and take you to heaven. I will give you this glorified body. And he says in verse number six, there, uh, therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent with the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Paul is saying, I've never seen heaven. I've never seen this glorified body. We're simply walking by faith, but God said it, and so I believe it. And because I believe it, I know it, and I know that that is going to be true. When we die, if you trust in Christ as your Savior, you will be in heaven. He believed that to be true, that he would be in heaven forever. Now, forever is a long time. And it's hard for us to fathom what is, how long is forever, right? It's hard for us to think about things like a million years, right? We, we just can't really wrap our minds around that. A billion years. But God is guaranteed to us forever. Millions of years, billions of years, all of eternity. And what God is asking from us is, I have died on the cross so that you could be saved. If you trust in Christ as your Savior, I will give you everlasting life. More than a million years, more than a billion years, it's everlasting years. Since I have given you everlasting years, would you give me the years you have on earth? The 70 years you have on earth the 80 years you have on earth, or however many years you have left on earth. You have 50 years left. You have 10 years left. You have 25 years left. And sometimes it can be hard for Christians to give up the years that they have on earth. When God says, I want you to give me my life, and we think that's all that I have. I, I want to do all these things in my life. I, I have all of these goals and ambitions and, and things that I want to do. It's my life, and it's I know it's a short time. I only got 70 years. I only got 80 years. Maybe I, I live a really long time and I live 100 years. But God says, will you trust me on this? Do you trust that when you got saved, you really do have everlasting years in heaven? God challenges us, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. God is saying, I'm giving to you a promise that if you get saved, then I will take you to heaven. But you've never been to heaven. And you've never seen it. So you have to take God at his word. If I give God all the years of my life on earth, I'm getting heaven in return. I remember when I graduated uh, from the university, uh, I had, as one of my goals, I wanted to travel. So I traveled overseas, and uh, I traveled through Europe a little bit. I went to Rome. And so in Rome, as you do, you go see all the different things, right? And I wasn't totally fully planned and prepared 
for everything, but, you know, I went to the Coliseum, and uh, I had a ticket, and, uh, you know, I was thinking about, you know, I was about ready to go in, and there was a lady just kind of outside of the Coliseum area, and was saying, hey, anybody want a tour? Anybody want a tour? And I was thinking, yeah, you know what? I do kind of want a tour. And so she said, the tour will be $20, all right? You got to buy your own ticket, uh, but the tour will be $20. And so I thought, okay, you know, this is just some lady. There's a couple other people over there kind of in the, you know, uh, on the side. And so I thought, sure, okay. And so I gave $20, and she gave me back this, like, kind of sticker thing or whatever, you know? And so I took the sticker, and she went off selling, you know, hey, anybody want a tour? And so me and uh, there was another couple. That was there from the states, you know, a, a guy and a girl, you know, this kind of young couple. They were obviously traveling as well. There was one or two other people, and uh, after a little while, we were like, "Where is this lady? I haven't seen this lady," you know. And uh, you know, I turned over and I was like, "Yeah, when's this tour gonna be?" And they're like, "I don't know," you know. Was, we didn't get scammed, did we? You know, I'm thinking, oh man, you know, I, I'm usually pretty good, but oh, maybe we did get scammed, you know? And so we're thinking, we're like, oh, we just traded $20 or 20 euros, I think, 20 euros for the sticker, you know? And we're like, oh man, you know? And so we're thinking, and you know, time goes by, 15 minutes goes by, 20 minutes goes by, 30 minutes goes by. We're like, I really hope that this lady comes back. You know, I already gave the money up front. Is she gonna come back? Now, thankfully, she did, and she did come back, and there were other people there. We went through. We had a great tour, and I really enjoyed it. She shared some facts about the Coliseum, and I was thinking, oh, you know, I gave it up up front, and I'm glad that she came through on the back end, you know? You know, sometimes Christians can wonder, is God going to come back and follow through on the back end? You know, if I give my life to the Lord today, and I give my life for the next 10 years, 20 years, 50 years of my life, is God going to follow through? And God says, I will follow through. Will you trust me? That's what faith is. And if we trust the Lord, that will please him. And this pleasing God with faith is going to change our perspective. It's going to change our perspective because we saw it change the perspective of Paul the Apostle. Pleasing God with faith changes our perspective on perseverance. You're there in 2 Corinthians. Turn to chapter number 4, verse number 16. He says there in verse number 16, For which cause we faint not. He's saying, for the cause of Christ, I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. You know why he said that? He said that because life is short. I only have... 20 years, I only have 50 years, or however many years he had left, the harvest season will soon end, and when I'm done, it's over with, and I go to heaven for all of eternity. I have just a very short time to lay up treasures in heaven. When I get to heaven, I can enjoy them, but while I'm here on earth, this is the only time that I get the opportunity to lay up treasures in heaven. And he said, it's too soon for me to quit. It's too early for me to stop serving God now. Because in our eyes as human beings, 50 years seems like a long time, right? 50 years seems like a long time. You think about 50 years from now, 2073. You know, whoa, that's a long time. 50 years seems like a long time until you realize we are in the year 2023. It's been 2,023 years since Christ was born, give or take. And then you go back even further, B.C., before Christ, thousands of years. 
And when you consider all of eternity, you realize 50 years is not that long. It's not that long. And so from a human perspective, we might think, God wants the next 50 years of my life. That's such a long time. But if you please God with faith and you trust him, you realize in the eternity that God is giving me, 50 years is not that long. You know what that means? God's not asking you for that much. He's not asking you for that much. Because if, if he's given you everlasting years, he's given you billions of years, trillions of years in heaven in the future, and he asks you for the short time that you have here, he's not asking you for that much. And Paul knew that. And so he said, you know what? I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to stop serving God. I've been serving God for the last few years. I want to keep serving God until I die because life is short. There's no point in our lives in which we could say, you know what, it's time for me to relax. It's time for somebody else to pick up the slack now. You know, uh, retirement will come for us as believers, but not here on earth. When we get to heaven, that's the time we can enjoy all the things that God has for us. And when you take a look at Hebrews 11, you see Enoch, he walked with the Lord for 300 years. Every day, faithfully trusting God, serving God. Noah faithfully built the ark for around 100 years. Abraham received the promise of a child and had to wait like 25 years for that child to be born. Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years. And then he delivered the people and he was in the wilderness another 40 years, 80 years in the wilderness. The Bible says, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. I have two little kids. One of the things that I know is that my perspective on time is very different from their perspective on time. All right. When I say, all right, we'll be there soon, I think 10 minutes. When, I, when my kids hear we'll be there soon, they think, all right, one, two, okay, are we here now? You know, like their perspective of time is very different. They have a very shortened period of time. So when I say, you know, hey, we're going to be, it's going to be 30 minutes, 30 minutes feels like eternity. And every minute they're asking, are we there yet? And the answer is always, no, we are not there yet. Okay. Can you see we're still driving? When we stop driving, you will know we are there. And then inevitably what happens is I pull off the freeway and you have to stop at a light. And then they say, are we there yet? We're stopped. I'm like, no. All right, we still need to keep going. We're not in the parking lot yet. You know, that's their perspective. From my perspective, living here in LA, 30 minutes isn't that bad, right? If you, you know, some of you, if you could get to work in 30 minutes every day, you'd be pretty happy about that. Oh, only 30 minutes? Hey, that's not too bad. That, that's all right. I, I don't mind that at all. We have very different perspectives. And what God is trying to say is 50 years is not that long when you consider the big picture. And it'll give us a better perspective if we please God with faith. Pleasing God with faith will change our perspective also on persecution. Verse number 17 Chapter number four, verse number 17 says, here's Paul, he's writing, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Now we know that those that are godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And Paul is mentioning, we have some persecution. We have some light affliction. Now, to understand what does Paul mean by light affliction? 
right? Because some people say, oh, this is light. And to other people, whoa, this is too heavy. I can't lift it, right? In Paul's perspective, light affliction was this. In the same book, in chapter 11, you can turn there if you want, or I'll just read the verses. He's describing the affliction that he's gone through. In verse 24, he says, Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. So five separate times I was strapped down, and they took a whip, and they whipped it across my back 39 times. All right, Five separate occasions that happened to me. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. If you know what the Bible talks about stoning, people, a mob basically, would pick up rocks and they would throw it at you until you die. That's what stoning was. They tried to stone him. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like light affliction to me. That sounds like pretty heavy affliction. I don't like being whipped. I don't like being beaten. I don't want to be stoned. I don't want to be imprisoned. I don't want to go through these suffering things. This sounds constant and intense, does it not? That's what Paul was going through. From my perspective, it looks like heavy affliction. But, but from Paul's perspective, he thought it was light affliction. How could he have such a different perspective on persecution than me and maybe from you? How could that be so different because of the verse that we just read earlier? For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Because he saw eternity in his mind and he saw the short time span that he had on earth in which he would suffer, he realized, you know what, this is light affliction because it's not that long, right? It's not that long. It's going to be a short time working for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You know what Paul is saying? I can see this affliction that many would consider to be heavy. I see it to be light because I have a different perspective from them. I don't see things the way that they see them. And you know why? He saw things different because he desired to please God with faith. Because he saw the word of God and he believed the word of God and that became a part of his thinking. It became a part of who he was and how he thought. And that changed his perspective on persecution. You know what? This persecution I face, it's not that bad. It's just a light affliction because it's not going to last for a long time. Not only that, he said that this affliction worketh for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. He's saying persecution is not just against us, it is for us. It's doing something for us. Now, for us, we don't like pain, right? We'll do anything to avoid pain. We'll do anything to escape pain, right? And when it comes to persecution, I think a lot of us will probably be in the same place. We would do anything to avoid the pain of the persecution. But what Paul said was, it's a light affliction that's actually working for us. 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter number five, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake, right? That verse there, the word blessed means happy. You should be happy when men revile you. You should be happy when you are persecuted. You should be happy when they shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Now, that doesn't make any sense at all, does it, right? Uh, people are saying these things about me, and I should be happy about that, right? People are persecuting me, and I should be happy about that. People are reviling me, and I should be happy about that. I, I'm blessed. How could that be? Well, Jesus gives us his perspective. Verse number 12, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You know what Jesus is saying? You should be happy because there's a reward coming. Focus on the reward and not on the persecution. In Hebrews chapter 11, Moses, he was faced with his choice. He was raised in Pharaoh's house. He had access to all the privileges and wealth of Pharaoh, of all of the land of Egypt. And the Bible says, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He chose to suffer instead of pleasure. Why? Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. He said, God said a reward and blessing was coming, and I trust that that blessing is greater than the pleasures of sin that I can have in Egypt. And it moved him, in verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So he decided, I don't care what Pharaoh thinks, I don't care what everybody else thinks, I know what God said, and I'm going to live according to that. And it changed his perspective. And so if we will live this life of pleasing God with faith, it's going to change our perspective. You won't be able to go into the new year seeing things the same way that you've always seen them. You're going to see things differently. You're going to see your church differently. You're going to see the Bible differently. You're going to see witnessing differently. You're going to see all of the church people differently. You're going to see everything differently. You're going to see worldly entertainment differently. You're going to see the wickedness of the world differently if you would please God with faith. You can't please God with faith and not have your perspective to be changed. We also see that pleasing God with faith changes our priorities. The big priority in the life of every Christian is to please God. That's the big priority in our lives. And really, that's the only priority in our lives. Whether you go to work, we go to work, and we, we serve our, our bosses as unto the Lord. Right? When you go home, the idea is to please the Lord in your home. When you come to church service, the goal is to please the Lord in the church service and with the other believers. And when we have that priority in place, it puts all our other priorities in the right order. Because every single one of us has a million things coming at us these days, right? You have every, everybody's asking, you know, you have your boss calling, you have family, you have relatives, you have things that you need to take care of around the house, you have your personal hobbies that you want to you wanna go out and, you know, uh, watch sports or whatever, you have all these different things, your friends want to hang out and do all of these different sorts of things, and you have all sorts of different priorities, personal priorities, 
uh, priorities with your friends, with your family, with your workplace, your finances, all of these different sorts of things. How do you know which one to put first? How do you know when it's like, you know what, I can't do everything. Who do I say no to? Who do I say, yeah, I really want to do it, but I can't do it at this time? Well, when our priority is pleasing God, it'll mean that every other priority will be put in place. Because our priority is finding and following the perspective of the judge. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 9 says this. We read it earlier. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. My goal is to please God. Why? Because his judgment is coming. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. No one escapes the judgment seat of Christ. Every believer, when we die, we will stand before the Lord. That is a guarantee. You ever have something promised that you hoped wouldn't come? I remember being in school and, you know, the teacher would say, all right, we're going to have a quiz on Friday. And then you go to class on Friday and you're hoping and praying that there's no quiz. And then somehow miraculously he forgets about it. <laughs> oh, yes, you know, we, we forgot about it. You know, this judgment, though, God's not going to forget about it. And it is appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the judgment. Romans chapter 14 says, but why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why, why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. You know why Paul put his priorities the way that he put them? Because he knew there was a judgment that was coming. He also knew the judgment was final. Here in this country, you know, we have different tiers of courts, right? You know, on the federal level, you have things like the district court, right? If you, uh, you might have to stand before the district court and, you know, stand before the judge there and, and you know, go through the proceedings. And then there's a, a ruling at the end, right? If the ruling is against you, you can appeal, right? I want to appeal the ruling. And so you get taken up to the court of appeals, and so now you have a court of appeals that looks at your case and looks at the ruling and either they agree or disagree or, you know, all sorts of different things can happen. But let's say they go against you again. You're like, you know what? I disagree with that. And I appeal to the Supreme Court, right? You take it all the way to the top. And let's say the Supreme Court takes your case. If they take your case, they make a ruling, whatever they rule stands because they're the highest court in the land, right? No, there's nobody above them that you can say, you know what, uh, there's another higher authority here. The highest authority is the Supreme Court. So whatever they decide is the decision. That's it. That decision is final. On this earth, there are all sorts of different courts. We have official courts, we have state courts, right? We have a California Supreme Court, a state Supreme Court. We have the federal Supreme Court. You have unofficial courts. You have the court of popular opinion that they will make a judgment. You have the court of what your friends think, what your family thinks, even what social media might think. But Christ's judgment is the final judgment. It's the last one it's the highest one, and it's the ruling that is final. All other judgments are lower court judgments. 
1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. You know what? It doesn't really matter as much what I think of you as what God thinks of you. It doesn't matter so much what your friends think of you as what God thinks of you. Because his judgment is true. Lots of judgments have been made. You ever hear about court cases that got reversed? Somebody was wrongfully convicted, all sorts of different things like that. That can happen on earth, but not with God, because God's judgments are always true. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true. And after these things, I heard a very great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God, for true and righteous are his judgments. So God's judgment is the one that matters because it is true and it is final and it is guaranteed, but also because his, his judgment is rewarding. The purpose of God's judgment for his people, if you're a believer, his judgment is to reward. In verse number 10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Which brings us back to our theme verse. But without God, or but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Do you believe that God is a rewarder? That God wants to reward? That God's goal and plan is to reward? One of the last verses in the Bible says, and behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. First Corinthians chapter three, verse number 10 says, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. So Paul's talking about the ministry there, the church in Corinth. I laid the foundation, I preached the gospel, and you all got saved, so now we have a foundation. Now it's up to you, each individual Christian, how you will build upon the foundation of salvation. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid than is Jesus Christ. For if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest. So no matter what you do in this life, it's going to be revealed what kind of service it was. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And if any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. So God describes to us this process of judgment. He says, I'm going to take everything that you did and throw it into a spiritual fire. Now, if we did things that are not for eternal, uh, lasting treasures in heaven, it's temporary. It's like wood. It's like hay. And guess what happens when you throw those sorts of things into a fire? It burns up and it turns to ashes. It turns to nothing. And so what God says is, if you live your life for temporary things only, you're like building a house that is made of wood and stubble and hay. And guess what? God's going to throw that into this spiritual fire. And at the end of it, what will be there? Nothing. So God says, what do you want me to reward you with? There's nothing left. But if you serve the Lord, 
lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, do spiritual things in obedience to God's word, it's like you are building with gold and silver and precious stones. Now, if you throw gold into a fire, what happens? Oh, it might melt, but it's still going to be there. And God says, here, these are the things that you did while you were on earth. Here, let me reward you for that. So we see that God wants us to please him, and it's going to change us. It's going to change our perspective. It's going to change our priorities, how we think about life, because I only have so many years before I get to heaven, and I want to lay up for myself treasures in heaven. Pleasing God with faith, lastly, changes our passions. A common mantra in the world is, find your passion, right? You ever hear that phrase before? Oh, find what you're passionate about and follow your passions, all right? What are you passionate about? You're passionate about art? All right, go, go follow your passions. You're passionate about technology and whatever the latest thing is and how you can use it in your life. Maybe you're passionate about traveling. You're passionate about teaching. You're passionate about whatever it is that you're passionate about. The world will say, find your passion. But the word of God instructs us, don't find your passion, choose your passion. There are people who think, well, I'm just not passionate about reading my Bible. That's why I don't read my Bible. Did you know you could choose to be passionate about reading the Bible? I'm just not passionate about serving God anymore. You know, I used to be really excited about it, but I'm just, that's, I'm just not passionate about it anymore. Did you know that you could choose to be passionate about serving God? Did you know that that is a choice that we have? Because we see that Paul was passionate about serving the Savior. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 14 says this, For the love of God constraineth us. The love of Christ holds me in service because we thus judge that if one died for all, they're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. See, when we choose to live the life of pleasing God with faith, we choose to be passionate about Christ. We choose to be passionate about the Lord because of his love. Have you considered the love of God, the love of Christ, who it was giving? Most of us know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Galatians chapter 2 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. He says, I'm living my entire life for the Lord. Why? Because he loved me and gave himself for me. Romans chapter 8, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? When you read those verses, don't you see that God loves you and God wants to give to you? That his love is giving and when God has given to us his son, not only has God given to us his son, Romans 8 says, if he didn't spare his son, what, what would he not give us? He would give us anything. Paul says, how could I not be passionate about the Lord? Do you see what I'm saying? If God was so passionate and loving and sacrificial for me, how could I not be passionate about serving the Lord? It's a guarantee kind of love too. Romans chapter 8. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Can we be passionate about the Lord who died for us? You know, people can be passionate about their TV shows and their stock portfolio and their cars and their sports teams and what college their kid's going to get into. But God wants us to be passionate about him. And I'm not saying it's wrong to be passionate about things. You all know that I love coffee. I'm passionate about coffee, some might say. You know, some people have given me great coffee. And I love great coffee. And I've really enjoyed it. Some new coffee that I hadn't had before. But no matter how much I love coffee, and I love coffee. I love how it smells. I love how it tastes. I love how it looks. I mean, I love everything about it. But coffee never died for my soul. Coffee never sacrificed itself for my sins. Coffee can't take me to heaven. Now, I love coffee. But can we be passionate about the God who died for us and is going to take us to heaven if you put your trust in him? Doesn't that just make sense? Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. When we believe what the Bible says, it will move us, it will change our passions to say, you know what? God said that he loved me so much that he gave himself to pay for my sins. The sins that I committed against the very God who sent his son to die on the cross, if that's true, how can I not be passionate about him? Paul was passionate about strengthening the church as well. For all things are for your sakes. All the things that I do are for the believers that are there, the church there in Corinth. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You see that the writer here of the book of Hebrews is telling us, hey, let's be passionate about the church. Let's be passionate about the things of God and the people of God. And let's say, hey, when we have a church service together, let's gather together. You know why we are encouraged to gather together to be with other believers here at Bible Baptist Church? Because we love them. We're passionate about them. Hey, when we're passionate about something, we can't wait until we see it again. We can't wait until we're with them again. And, and that's what God wants us to be. He wants us to be passionate about the church. Paul was also passionate about spreading the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Christ's sake. He writes in verse number 20, but now then we are ambassadors for Christ. You see that Paul had this desire of pleasing God with faith, and that changed him. It changed his perspective on life, changed his perspective on persecutions, changed his priorities in life, and it changed his passions because he wanted to please the Lord. He became passionate about God. He became passionate about the people of God became passionate about reaching people with the gospel. So I hope that our desire today is pleasing God with faith. 